I wanted to, um, <clears throat> so we've been looking at this idea of the strong delusion. And um, I know I, I thinned the herd last, this from last week to this week, because last week's uh, uh, presentation was a little direct, to say the least. Um, and uh, I understand that's what happened. So my apologies for that. This week will be a much more pleasant interchange. Good morning. Um, and, uh, you know, the good news is last week's wasn't recorded, so you don't have to live it over and over again. <laughs> so that's the good news. So I wanted to, uh, so I do want us to get into this, um, second Thessalonians chapter two, this, uh, verse 11 and 12, and that is the strong delusion, um, which is, um, interesting from a couple points of view in scripture. And so I'm going to give you the overview now, and then we'll come back and tie it together with the, with the verses. And then y'all can say, um, what you think about that, if you think I'm, that's on target, or if you think it explains some things, what we see today, or if it's like way off. Okay. So the strong delusion is dual in nature. It comes from within when people refuse to embrace the truth, which is what we see in Romans chapter one, verses 16 to the end of the chapter. We also see it comes from God. God will give people over to false ideas and false beliefs when they continually refuse to embrace truth and believe truth. And we see that um, in Romans, it says that in chapter one, it says that in second Thessalonians, it says it in Isaiah 66. I mean, it's all through scripture and there's example upon example, and they're all in the notes. My apologies that the notes are so long this week. We're not going to cover all of this today, but I wanted you to have a copy of it so you can have it. Um, and then the, the, so there's, and then we can, we can easily analyze and see the delusions in culture today that grip our people. So delusions, yes, ma'am. Oh, I thought you were asking for a verse. No, I'm just listening. Okay. So, so uh, delusions in culture grip us very evidently. We can see them all around us. And it's basically as goes back to the Proverbs where it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. My apologies for old English. That's just, I learned it as a King James kid. So, but how you think is going to work out into what you become. And also we looked at the idea last week in, in, in the Psalms, I think it was Psalm 118, 115, 118, and it says that you will become like the gods you worship. Okay. So the things you're worshiping, whatever that idol is, um, that's going to, you're going to begin to reflect that and you're going to be reshaped into that God. Now, the good news is that can be Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, that's the good news. And you can, and you study God and you focus on God and that, and he's the idol of your heart, which is what's supposed to be right. Cause that's the one that fits. Then you will begin to be reshaped and begin to take on the form and the look and the appearance and the actions and the attitude of Jesus. All right. Are you with me? Now, so we've got the, the lie, the delusion. We've got where it comes from, from within and from without. God just confirms your choices in this matter, sadly, for some people. And then, then we want to look at the defense, the remedy. How do you overcome the lies of the enemy um, in culture? And so in your notes, there's uh, a story about Jesus that's in three of the Gospels um, and where he actually has to confront these people and how he handled them and what they say the remedy was. And I will just very plainly tell you, the remedy is found in two places. It is mainly the Bible. So you know scripture. And when you know the scripture, you know truth. Truth is always a remedy to a lie. Whether it's a personal lie, a lie in a relationship, 
rely at the store, rely on business. Truth is always the remedy. And so having scripture to back up your truth and be the source of your truth. And then the next thing that Jesus said was the remedy is, and it kind of flows from that, uh, from scripture, the power of God. And then later on, Paul in his letters to the uh, early churches explains it even a little deeper. And he, he comes straight out and says it. And Jesus even does uh, to his disciples, the spirit of truth is the remedy to, remedy to the lie. So, and then Jesus also says this, he says to the same group of critics who uh, embrace some of the lies we see in our culture today, which is why it's important for us to, to look at them, to follow his example. He says that you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. And because you don't know those things, you, you are limiting God and you're limiting the power of God and it's limiting your life and what God can do with you. And so the remedy for us is knowing the power of God knowing scripture so we can discern and separate truth from error. And the last thing, so here's, I'm, I'm going, I'm taking a big giant lasso. and I've just got this big lasso and I'm just circling all this stuff and I'm going to squeeze it all together right now. The lies we face today in culture are signs of the latter days. It even says it in the old Testament in Deuteronomy. It says it in the new Testament and Jesus tells us, and he, his, one of his, one of the first things he does is criticize his critics, the Sadducees in this exchange. He says, you cannot discern the signs of the times in which you are living. And that is a challenge, not just to them, but also to us, that we are supposed to be able to look around and say, where are we when it comes to God, the Bible, prophecy, and scripture? And here's, here's so I'm, I'm taking this lasso. So that's one. The next is the lies we have delusion. The last thing is the power of the Holy Spirit is the way you confront and overcome the lies of the enemy, the truth, the spirit of truth, as he comes to us, as he brings himself to us. All right. So that's that's the big overview. And now we're going to get into the discussion and reading the verses and plowing through the scripture and asking the Holy Spirit to work in us and to, to bring all that out and flesh it out, connect it, and then give us power from within to live it. Okay. Let's pray real quick. Father, we are very grateful that you have called us together again. And you have brought um, us as an audience uh, to your throne. And we're grateful that you are with us when we meet. We're grateful that your word is alive, it's powerful, it's cutting. And we ask now, God, that you will um, take down the barriers in our hearts and our minds that prevent us from clearly seeing your truth, from knowing your truth and embracing your truth. Let your spirit um, move us and open us up so that we can receive your truth and we can have the strength and the power of your truth to uh, go forth this coming week and proclaim your truth through all we meet. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you mind giving one of those pages to Pastor D? So I know he likes to have a copy of those. There might be two copies there um, that you could, um, Pam would like one as well. I don't make a bunch of copies and it does get emailed out. So you have it. If you got the email, you've got all the notes. This is only half of the notes because we're not going to get through half of the stuff today. It's only 21 pages. It's, well, this is only 14. I prepped earlier for this, and I had it on one, but uh, then again, I lost it. So, <laughs> so I, I did, it did go out as an email. So um, how about this? How about who can turn to Romans chapter 1? And I want to just 
just kind of set a, a, a horizon for you, okay? Go to Romans chapter one and start at verse 16 and someone read to the end of the chapter. And as we read to the end of this chapter, I want you to pick up on the things I just told you that, that people allow themselves to be deceived. People embrace those lies. And then what is, what is the result of that? Because God clearly says, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, and this is going to be the end of it. And I will go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. All the misuse of sexuality in our culture today, and there's a ton of it. And we got into a lot of it last week in detail, graphic, unpleasant detail. All of that stuff is right here in chapter one of Romans. And it is the result. It is the result of refusing to embrace the truth of who God is and your need for him. Who has it? Romans chapter one, verse 16 to the end. Who'd be willing to, to step out there? Be a loud reader. Okay. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. She's got the nearly inspired version. I made a joke about it. Okay, go ahead. No, don't burn your Bible. That was a joke. That was a joke. Go ahead. Go ahead. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, Jews first and also Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them in secret. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time that the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and drive and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became darkened and confused, claiming to be wise. They became utter fools instead. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, made to look like mere people or birds and animals and snakes. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth of God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. So they worship the things God made, but not the creator himself, who was to be praised forever. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things. Insert flaming homosexual. Insert flaming homosexual. You've heard that phrase in culture. Oh, he's a flaming homosexual. All right. That's that's scriptural. They burn with lust, men one for the other. Continue. Sorry to interrupt you. Men did shameful things with other men and as a result suffered within themselves. Monkeypox. They so richly desired. Monkeypox, AIDS, sexually transmitted diseases are the eventual working out of that. And it doesn't matter if you're 
um, going as far as they do in this case, if you're misusing sexuality, there is a there's a penalty for that sin that works its way out in your life. Um, and it's, it's very sad. Sex and sexuality is created by God, intended by God to be um, enjoyed. It's, it's with purpose. And God puts guardrails on it. And when we step outside those guardrails, which are for our protection, we have no protection. And that's what happens. Now, what do y'all see in that? What stands out to you? Do, do you see America? Do you see our world today? Amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. And they 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 willfully blind themselves and give over to, to lies. They don't embrace the truth. Yes, sir. I heard a speaker talk yesterday that United Nations, there's only two things on their agenda. They don't care about the poor or people being suffering or anything like that. It's the LGBT agenda and the climate war. If that is not what you're pursuing, they are absolutely, absolutely no help. If you remember a month ago, I said, just trying to make a connection. I wasn't trying to insert the company gets the money. The one who gives the money says, I will drive your agenda. You will either follow my agenda or you won't get the money. Now take that to the next level. The United Nations drives the agenda, you will do what we say as a country or you won't get the money and the United Nations has lots of money. It's the same thing with the businesses as, as it is with the nations. They don't get the money unless they drive the agenda. And right now the national, um, that's a great point. And let's bring it down to the local level. Your, the schools in South Carolina will not receive funding from the federal government if they're not willing to embrace and teach LGBTQ um, as a reality. That doesn't mean you have to do it. It just means well, we don't have- You don't lottery. get your money back. We don't have a lottery in South Carolina, but North Carolina's getting all our money. We held on for a few years and then we caved and said, we need a lottery too, so we can get billions of dollars so we can have these fine school systems that we have. So we can pay for the best coaches in the world. Uh, whatever. Like Clemson. Sorry. I said it. Um, <clears throat> turn to Second Thessalonians. This is the next big piece of meat we're going to chew on this morning. If you come down to Second Thessalonians chapter two, get kind of right there in the middle of verse eleven. Um, we have the word therefore, and what do we know about the words therefore? They're there for a reason. Yeah, exactly. They're there for a reason. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verse 11 and 12, these are our key verses. Therefore, God sends upon them a misleading influence, a working of error, a strong delusion to make them believe what is false. Verse 12, in order that they, that all may be judged and condemned, and here's what's going on, who did not believe in that means they refuse to adhere to, to trust in and rely on the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. That's where we are. That's where we are. Let's see here. Um, delusion. 
the word delusion um, in the dictionary, and this is a this is a strong delusion. All right, so this is believing complete error and lie, and you are just going to be so far off track. Um, so th those of you who are familiar with uh, travel and navigation, um, you will rely on, or used to rely on, I guess you still do in some sense. You rely on magnetic north when you're out in the ocean navigating. You're counting that everything is where it's supposed to be so that you can chart your path. And when your instruments are off, um, maybe a, a, there's something that's influenced them. Uh, maybe a magnet came across your compass and it's, it's, it's changed it a little bit. And when it's off, you are never going to land in the right place that you're trying to go to. A delusion is an unshakable belief in something untrue. Generally in reference to a mental disorder. Yeah, delusion. Yeah. And that's where we are. Now, God sends a strong delusion. I mean, it's... Um, Historically, in your notes, you'll see there are times that God does this and he sends spirits upon people to accomplish his will as they've turned their backs on him over and over again. And he says, I will fulfill my purposes through you using these fallen spirits, these lying spirits, these lying spirits of dissension, all types of things God would do to achieve his purposes. Now, let me uh, look at verse. So remember I said verse 11 has a therefore in it. So it's there for a reason. So it's establishing a, a truth, an idea, and that's encapsulating it. And this is a result instead of what's before it. How about someone read verse 6 through 11? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're still there. Verses 6 through 11. Now you know what is holding you back. So the secret power of lawlessness, the lawlessness is already at work. But the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. And the Lord Jesus will overthrow the breath of his mouth and destroy by uh, the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use, he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs, wonders, and serve the lie and all the things and wickedness deceives those who are perishable. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe in the lie and they will all be condemned who have not believed the truth and have delighted in wickedness. Again, this is the same message that we see in Romans chapter one. Um, thank you, Glenn. So I want to, and so I want to connect this to where we are in discerning the times and Jesus's warning to the Sadducees, and we'll get to that in just a second. And so verse six, um, and now know that it is restraining him, Antichrist, and being revealed at this time. It is so that he, Antichrist, may be manifested, revealed in his Antichrist's own appointed time. Uh, Satan cannot uh, bring about the end of the world; he has to follow the schedule of God. And so when it's time for the return of Christ, it'll happen and the devil will do his stuff to try and interfere with it and stop it and lead more people away from truth and from salvation. Now, um, I wanted to take you down to verse eight and then the lawless one Antichrist will be revealed and Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to an end by the appearing at his coming. 
This is, um, yes, sir. Oh, this is, uh, this is connected. I want to, in your notes, you'll see some things. In your notes, you'll see a reference to Revelation chapter 19 in verses 15. Um, it says that, it says this, from his mouth, talking about Jesus, comes a sharp sword, his word, with which um, he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread upon the wine press with the fierce wrath of almighty God in judgment of a rebellious world. When you look at um, Ezekiel chapter 28, we see this, just so you know, the source of all that we're seeing right now, the lies come from Satan. Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies, right? That's what he told the religious critics of his day. He said, you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar in the beginning and he is the father of lies. And that's why you don't believe me because I'm telling truth and you can't do truth. All you can do is lies. So he's, he's the source of all the lies. Now I want to, I want to give you um, relief because it's not all bad. Last week was really all bad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I want to give you some hope. Okay. Here's your hope. Uh, the Bible tells us the source of the origin of original evil in Lucifer and what took place to bring him from being this beautifully great created being to being this fallen evil creature destined um, for the lake of fire. And you'll find those in Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 18. And it ties in exactly with what we see here in these verses and with what we see in Revelation chapter 19. And um, you also see this in Isaiah chapter 14. You see the same thing going on there, talking about his creation and his fall. It says in verse 11 of 28, and again, the word Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a dirge, a funeral poem to be sung for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. You had the full measure of perfection at the finishing touches of completeness, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis, um, the loosely, the turquoise, the emerald and gold. And the workmanship of your settings and your sockets were in you, which is this very interesting phraseology about what Lucifer was when he was made. The Geneva Bible in 1599 translates it like this. It says, your workmanship of thy timbrels and thy pipes were prepared in thee the day that was created. The King James Version says, thy tabrets and thy pipes. The Orthodox Jewish Bible says, the workmanship of thy hand drums and the wind instruments was prepared in thee on the day that was created. Lucifer was in charge of worship, basically. He was a living instrument for the glory of God. He was the one that carried the, the glory of God, reflected the glory of God, and he was made to the full. And then it says on in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub that covers and you were um, and you were protecting and you were in the holy mountain of God and you were there and you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness and evil were found in you. And then it goes on to talk about how he was cast out of the mountain of God. He was banished away. And it was because he rebelled against God. And that's all that we see today in these lies is rebellion against God. Taking the very, the, the greatest example is taking the, the form of sexuality, which you were born with, which is in all 7 trillion cells in your body is a copy of each of us are made of about 7 trillion cells. 
Each one of your cells has two DNA master plans in it. One is the master plan overall that is you. And then the other is a, is a blueprint that is the copy for that individual cell. And that's how your body makes a new cell again. When it's time for that cell to die, it has a master copy. It knows where it belongs. And then it says, this is the individual cell and makes it again. There are 7 trillion, I guess you'd say 14 trillion, because there's, there's two duplicates in every one, um, inside of every person saying you are a male or you are a female. It is science and you cannot get around it. Your DNA screams who you are and how you're made. And that was not chosen by any of us. That was chosen by God. Yes. Yeah, there are. Yeah. There's chromosomes that are absent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it helps us though mm -hmm. in, in trying to figure out as Christians how we deal with this, because we can we can have uh, it's easier for us to have grace on someone who has a, a handicap or a problem. We have grace. We do not say they don't have a handicap. We say they have a handicap, but we have grace for it because we know it. So if we have somebody with homosexuality, which we tend to, to say that's repulsive to us, especially if you think about it long enough. But if we knew that this was a deformity or something, then we have more grace. Well, then just back that up to the healthy person who is struggling with it. And that's the one committing suicide. And we, we could have some grace for that. Um, we tend to say they all are Satan fighting us with tooth and nail. Well, that's what we see on TV. And those are many of them uh, probably have seared hearts now. They have, they have turned another way, altogether gone another way. But a vast majority are probably still struggling with this, just as any of us struggle with our problems. And we have grace for each other because Roy doesn't tell very good jokes, but I put up with it. And, you know, and, and it's just something I can put up with. What I'm saying is we should have more grace for it, but we tend to go to that extreme like we're fighting the devil. Well, I think we are to a certain degree today now because they are trying, it's an agenda being pushed. Right. And I think it's part of this great reset, the new world order, right. controlling the population because if you destroy the family, you destroy procreation, you know, recreate that you're going to be able to control the population. Yeah. And we want to fight the enemy, but again, it's love of sin. I mean, love of sin or hate of sin. We want to make sure who we're fighting. Right. And make sure that it's proper. We'll come against the devil and the antichrist with everything we got, but the, the sinner, we want to pull them from hell, saving them 
they're still alive. Therefore, there there might alive. still be a chance. Although that gets into another whole issue, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, the point Good morning. I think there are some. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, yes, so let me give you a biblical example, I think, that might be helpful. Um, and so if you think about Isaac's sons, we actually talked about them this morning before we started, Jacob and Esau. Twins, right? Same father, same mother, right? Completely different, right? Grew up in the, in the same tent. One is a man of the field. Harry, a hunter, a man's man, a woodsman, if you will. He's always out there. And who's the other one? Jacob? Oh, he's a boy of the tents. He's a mama's boy, right? Now, okay, are you seeing my, are you seeing what I'm looking at here? Okay, you got one who is, I would say, Jacob may have been effeminate. He hung around mama all the time. You will, you will imitate those people who are around you just reflexively. It happens. You'll start to talk like them, walk like them, act like them, use their same phraseology. And then you've got you've got the Esau, the hunter, the manly man. I'm woolly like a goat, you know? And then you got the smooth one over here, the boy of the tents, the man of the tents. All right. Now, Jacob did not become a homosexual. He became the father of the nation of Israel. You know, he had multiple wives. I mean, so just because you have a tendency does not mean you embrace that tendency. Um, now, let me talk about somebody who did embrace a tendency. Solomon. Solomon had a tendency. He got it from Papa. You know, David had, what, seven wives or something like that? He had, he had a few wives. And then, boom, son goes bridal off, right? A thousand women. I mean, the worst thing, the greatest, the worst fate for a woman in Israel under the reign of King Solomon was to catch his eye. Because he would take you as a wife or a concubine. He would love you for a week and never see you again. And you were trapped. And you had no life after that. Because you were the king's property. So there's, there's the other extreme. Where, um, where your sexuality is unbridled. Um, and, and unmanageable. So, so I would, and that's really what you're looking at. Is you're looking at these are the, this is the way God has established sexuality to be lived out. And to bring glory and honor to him in the union of a husband and a wife inside a family. And that's how it's supposed to be. And when we, when, when we start to step outside of that, we begin to mar and damage that model that God has established for us to live and experience. It's one of those living pictures of the love of God that reflects in us. By the way, a husband and a wife love each other, the way we love our children. We love our infants when they can do nothing for us. That's agape love. There's nothing that that baby can do for you when you're giving them a bath or feeding them or cleaning up their dirty diaper. But that's the type of love that God shows us. There's nothing. God, what can you give God that he doesn't already have need or possess? Nothing. Right. And so and so that's when we come back to him with with just I love you and, and thank you. Yes. Sometimes I give him advice. Yes, you're praying and you say, God, I've got a great idea how you can fix this. Yeah, because he hadn't thought of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lord, this is a. Yes, ma'am, of course. That I think what we're fighting against as Christians is the abnormal, the abnormal thing. This is not normal, but people who don't love God. And have exchanged the truth for a lot. Yes. And teach it yes. to everyone yeah. that they can just be transgender or whatever they want to be. 
mm-hmm. and it's okay if it's normal, it's just not. Yeah, it's so we'll, we'll take it because you brought up the first point. There, they may be inclined to this, right? I'm inclined to rob liquor stores, but I'd never act on it. Okay. That that was where I was going. We are all inclined to sin. There is none righteous. No, not one. We have the same problem they do. We just don't act it out in, in homosexuality or transgenderism. We act it out in our other way. And if we did not die to that self, we're no better than they and again, going back to the grace, how are you able to handle it with grace? You just remember, that's me. I just didn't do it in that way. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just love liquor stores. Well, uh, yeah, but that's still bad. I just well, tell I, lies. I, I just tell lies. I just beat my kids or whatever. I have a pride issue, but we it's not that all bad. have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this one's not worse than this one. This one this and one. that's it. And, and that really is the solution is, and um, so there is a trap that the enemy sets for us in this discussion. And part of the trap is, um, I let's pretend like we're Alcoholics Anonymous. Hello, my name is Matthew, and I am a prideful person, you know? So whatever you fill in the blank is, you know, I'm an alcoholic, you know, whatever, I rob liquor stores. And the issue for us is when we begin to take our blank of whatever our sin is and say, well, mine's not as bad as yours and yours is better than hers and hers is okay. And that's comparison. And God tells us that in his eyes, every speck of sin is equally wrong and painful and hurtful to him. And he's not saying that, oh, well, you're not as bad as me. And that's just a little white lie. And that's really, uh, that's really a hurtful thing you're saying. So, and that's, that's, that's something the enemy's trying to do is make us compare all that and every sin. Uh, so if you've got a, if you've got a thousand pound weight, if you're on the floor and there's a thousand pound weight over you and it's held by links in a chain, how many links have to break for the weight to fall? One. And that's how the judgment of God is on sin. It doesn't matter which, what the name of your link is in that chain. That link breaks. You're crushed by the weight of your sin. It doesn't matter if it's homosexuality or I tell lies or I rob liquor stores or, you know, I do violate speed limit laws every once in a while. And that light looked yellow to me, but it may have been red. You know, it's pink on the edges. It's pink on the edges. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so we, so we, and we all justify ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And so the, the heart of the matter is we are not struggling against a person. We're struggling against an evil entity. And that is our struggle. And the goal for us is not to um, win an argument or a debate. Our goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, to convince them of what's wrong with them, convince them of their need, and then let God work in them to draw them into salvation. And then you will see things like you talked about where someone who has lived a life of homosexuality and they meet Jesus and he changes them, you know, or someone is a drug dealer and then today they're a preacher. You know, that's the God we serve who who does radical changes. Now, I really wanted to get to our list. So some of these things you'll just have to read on your own. And I I hope you take the time to read them and then we can discuss them um, and, and how they go. Who's ever heard live by the sword, die by the sword, right? You know, that's scriptural, right? That's out of the book of revelation. That's scriptural. So I've got a new twist on it. Live by the lie, die by the lie. So those who base their lives on lies of the enemy will eventually die by those same lies. And those who are 
captured and led away um, by others with lies and deceptions, those people who are passing out those lies and those deceptions, they themselves will also be captured by their own lives and they will be destroyed by them. And there's some, there's some verses in your notes that um, back that up. Um, Isaiah 33.1 is one um, that you can look at. And there's others in Revelation. And then uh, what I wanted to get to, though, <clears throat> was the idea of um, the strong delusions of our current culture. Lies that lead to captivity. Because that's what the verses will tell us when you're looking at also Colossians has a nice passage. The letter to the Colossians has a really good passage about this. And that's in your notes as well. And the words that translators used to describe the lies is, is fascinating. I'm going to tell you, there's two lies right now that permeate our culture. And these two lies, there are all kinds of things that just flow out of these two lies. Lie number one, there is no spiritual component to our existence. There's no spiritual component to our existence. That's, that's primary lie number one. All right. This world is only material and physical. It is only what you can see and observe and quantify. And that leads to all kinds of bad things being played out within us when we embrace that lie. The next lie is, and this is this was not a lie. Michael and I were talking before the class about how we've seen American culture change over the decades. This lie was never part of the history of America, and it is woven so deeply into our fabric today that you can't even talk to certain people using the word truth, because this is the next lie. There is no truth. There is no truth. There is no right. There is no wrong. Satan goes out and he deceives the world is what we're seeing uh, happening here. And so this, those twin lies of there's no spiritual world. So if there's no spiritual world, then there's no afterlife. If there's no afterlife, then there's no judgment. If there's no spiritual world, there's no God. If there's no spiritual world, there's no devil. There's all, I can do whatever I want to right now. And I can cheat anybody I want to and rob anybody I want to and kill anybody I want to and destroy whoever I want to. And I can get away with it. I, nobody will ever knows. Then I get away with it and I never face judgment. There's a lot of problems with that view of the world. A lot of problems. I'm going to go through some of these lies. These twin lies bring out these um, things. There is no God. There is no creator. There is no devil. There is nothing after our lives end. I can do what pleases me without consequences. I can believe whatever I want, despite the evidence to the contrary, and it still be true. There is no truth. Truth is relative. We each have our own truth. In the closing minutes we have, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. And I want us to look at what Jesus says in this case. Mark chapter 7, verse 9. He says this. Who has it? Who can read it? And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your own tradition." And that's what's going on with our culture today. They are rejecting the laws and commandments of God, the scripture of God, and they are embracing their own traditions. They're making their own ways of getting there. Now, Jesus, in this case, is actually speaking to the religious leaders. Sir. Yeah, okay. Yeah, who's the audience? Right. Yeah, there's the religious leaders. 
And so the same way um, that he schools them, I mean, that's what we face today. I want to bring this home to you that, that what we face today, it, it, it's new and strange and foreign to us. Well, truth, of course, there's truth, right? Yeah. But, but, but it's not something that Jesus didn't face as well. Um, the lies of the enemy, truth is always the remedy to the lies. And Jesus said, he is the ultimate truth. He is the ultimate truth. I am the truth is what he said. Um, James chapter two, verse 19 says this. So I want to give you a couple remedies or evidences from scripture for these two lies or put these two lies. Romans 1 20, we've already read forever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through his workmanship, all of his creation, the wonderful things he's made so that they, those who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. James chapter two, verse 19. So your, your remedy to this, we talked about the remedy to the lie is truth, which is found in scripture. So knowing your Bible, then knowing the power of God, allowing the truth of the spirit of the Holy Spirit to be in you and work through you in verses. And so this is the next, so the one lie, second lie, here's a remedy, James two nineteen. You believe that God is one. You do well to believe that. The demons also believe and they shudder and bristle in awe-filled terror they have seen his wrath. We do live in a spiritual world, and even the enemies of God acknowledge that. Um, there's a list of these verses um, in your notes, examples from Matthew 8:28, Mark 1:24, Mark 5:7, where demons confronted Christ and they acknowledged his deity, recognized him for who he was eternally, and also knew their fate, their destiny, their judgment was coming upon them. The general lie that we see in, um, in Genesis, there's some general lies we see the devil plays. He still uses those today. And this goes back to scripture. And his, one of the lies he get told Eve, uh, Eve in the Garden of Eden was, has God truly said? And the results of that lie in our culture today is it says the culture will say the Bible is just a product of a bunch of old dead white men trying to control the masses. And in your notes, there are some verses you should be well acquainted with. There's one, two, three, four different references to deep passages of Scripture I can't get into right now that validate the uniqueness of Scripture. The Bible you have in your lap is the most unique thing in the world. It is validated by discoveries in all types and branches of science, whether you're talking about archaeology, physics, astronomy, medicine, um, uh, dietary medicine. All types of things. Yes, sir. Engineering, engineering. Yeah, engineering. It's it's everywhere. Um, the truth of scripture is validated by what we see in our world. It's a very, very unique book. So, so never back away from that. Let's do our case study. I picked Matthew for some reason. Matthew chapter 22. We have 10 verses. In Matthew 22, somebody read this story from verse 23 to verse 33 of Matthew 22. It's a lot of twos in there. And we'll close out with this. That same day, some Sadducees stepped forward, a group of Jews who say there is no resurrection after death. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will be the brother's heir. Well, there were seven 
brothers. The oldest married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow. This brother also died without children. And the wife was married to the next brother, and so on, until she had been the wife of each of them. And then she also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For she was the wife of all seven of them. Jesus replied, your problem is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they won't be married. They will be like angels in heaven. But now, as whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowd heard him, they were impressed with his teaching. Thank you, Pam. Go back up to verse 29 and look what Jesus tells them. He says, you do not know the scripture. They've come to Jesus with a question. And Jesus is saying, you got a great question. It's a very flawed premise because you don't know what you're talking about. And that's where culture is today. Culture comes at us with a question, but they have a flawed premise. All right. Jesus is saying right here in this verse, verse 29, I think he's saying that your remedy to the lie and the false premise, because these Sadducees did not believe in a spiritual world. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. I don't even know why they were at the temple. I really, I am so puzzled every time I read this. I mean, and you know their name, the Sadducees. They were sad, you see, but look at what they believe. No wonder they're sad, right? I'd be sad too if I believed that. The two things, know the scripture of God and know the power of the God revealed in scripture. If you know those two things, those are the remedies for all the lies the enemy comes at you with. Because every lie the enemy brings to us can be answered directly in scripture, whether it's a, a, a word of truth, like a principle from the Psalms or the Proverbs, or if it's a living example of somebody that lives something out like Jacob and Esau and the difference between these twin boys and how one can be such a, a burly, manly man and one can be such a mama's boy. But they still both are heterosexual. And here's the thing about it. God made them both. God loved them both. God had plans for them both. And they are integral to the world we live in today because one is the father of the Arabs and one's the father of the Jews. They are uniquely woven into the future of our lives because they are all about what happens in the prophetic world at the end of time when the return of Christ comes. So God uses everything and he chose the personalities and he used them for his purposes when it came to the deception of Papa and getting the blessing. He used all that. God did. And he'd made these men those ways. And that's how he did it. In. You're in Matthew. Look at Matthew 16, and we're not going to read the whole passage, but Matthew 16, 1 through 20 is another one of these interactions that Jesus has with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And look at verse 3. Who could read Matthew 16, or just verse 3, and we'll encapsulate it with that, and we'll, we'll call an end to the session. In the morning, there will be a storm today, sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but are you unable to discern the signs of the 
Jesus is saying to his audience in front of him, you got the weather app. You can tell me what time the rain's going to start and what time it's going to stop. But you are so stupid, you don't even know where you're living. In the geography of time, not the geography of the world, in the geography of time, you have no idea where you are. You have no idea who's standing right before you right now. And they didn't. He says it again when he on the triumphal entry. Jerusalem, I weep for you because you did not know the signs of your times. You don't know where you are in biblical history. Jesus is telling these men who are coming to him with these stupid questions again, trying to trick him. He's saying, I'm holding you responsible for not knowing where you're living in the geography of God's time schedule. If Jesus held them responsible and expected them to be able to discern the times in which they live, I'm going to think he expects us to do the same thing. He expects us to be able to discern where we are in the course of history so that we can live the right life. If you continue through your notes, you'll see more of these exchanges between there's one with Paul and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, and there's more of these lies. And next week, we'll get into a list of remedies for them. I'm going to close you out with this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. It's easy, right? 1 Timothy 4, 4. But the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter times, some will turn away from the faith giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach through the hypocrisy and pretensions of liars whose consciousness are seared, they're cauterized, who forbid people to marry and teach them to abstain from all certain kinds of foods which God has created for them to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and have an increasingly clear knowledge of the truth. This, this makes that distinction between the teacher and the student who has believed the lie. Teacher, and Jesus did this as well, he held the Pharisees to a higher account. He held the Sadducees to a higher account. And then he looked at the students and said, I do not condemn you. They have condemned you with their lies, but I don't. And then they received forgiveness. And so there's millions and millions of people out there who are being condemned by the teacher's lies. And have you heard the poem by Stephen Turner? I don't know if I have. It's, it's kind of a close. We have 9.39. I show we have okay. six minutes. But this it's a little bit of a long poem, but listen to it. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We, we believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Muhammad and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher though we think his morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the ones we read was. The ones we read were, they all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on certain matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing, 
because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If dead is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it's compulsory heaven for all, except perhaps for Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is average. What's average is normal. What's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe that there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. Americans should beat their guns into tractors and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of the conditions. Conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth, accepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of the individual thought. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, whites go looting, bomb blasts school, it is but the sound of man worshiping his maker. Wow. It's a very sad, thank you for that. It's a very sad encapsulation of our culture and what they believe. And I hope you can hear all the contradictions within those statements. And that is where we are. Our world is lost. It is so lost. And they're lost because they've embraced all these lies. Now, we have not embraced those lies. We have embraced truth. And because we possess the truth, we carry the truth with us. We have a responsibility to share that truth. All right. Today is September 11th. Who among you would have not, if you had known what was going on that day, stood in the airport and told someone, don't let these men get on those planes? Or would have warned people, don't get on that plane with that man? If you had, if you go back in time, you would do that right now, would you not? I mean, I would. I'd try and change history, right? Now, how much worse the fate of those around us are going to suffer beyond death in a collapsing building or fire of a plane exploding, they're going to burn and die, be separated from God and good and beauty and loveliness forever. I hope it weighs on your heart to share your faith with people. I'm going to give you one encouragement, okay? You sign your name at the counter when you put your card in the machine, right? There's a little screen. You pick up the pen like you're on Star Trek, like Captain Kirk would used to do and hand it back, right? I mean, I know it's, it's here, right? All right. I want to give you a new name. No longer sign your name. Write it. Bride of Christ. That's who you are. You are the bride of Christ. Write it. And if somebody says, can I see your ID? Show them your ID. So that's, that's, the, that's the one who claims me. That's whose I am. I identify as his because I am his. All right. Proclaim your, your salvation to others. Spread the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Help us to embrace your spirit more deeply to allow compartments of our mind and our heart and our lives to, to, to open up to you and let you in so that you can work in all parts of our lives, in all arenas of our existence, to draw more people into your salvation. Give us courage to share your gospel 
by which you have redeemed us. In the mighty name of Jesus, let it be done. Amen.